0: it's Sunday you're not at home and you go and you visit another congregation and it's not home they don't know what they're doing over there they don't sing right their preacher doesn't preach right we had a nice visit with a little congregation and it, it was and it was it was fine and we uh, got to got to uh, watch the service here later As it was recorded and got to watch it in the afternoon. And I miss being here. But it's always nice to be able to go somewhere and get away for a little while. But it's, with me, it's always better to be at home. Now you might wish I was someplace else, but uh, that's another story altogether. But here's how it goes. In, In a Sunday afternoon when you're away from home and you're sitting there thinking, now I need to begin to think about next Sunday. What am I going to talk about next Sunday? This is the, You don't care about preacher's dilemmas, but what am I going to talk to these people about next Sunday? Sometimes it's a planned thing, but a lot of times it's, I need something. I need something, and I don't know exactly what it is. I mean, I've got a Bible full of stuff out there, but what am I going to talk to these people about? And I was just reading, and I was reading in Timothy, and I thought, you know, there is a great verse there, and there's a great line that talks about the mystery of godliness I don't know whether that line really strikes you much but it does me I don't spend a lot of time with this but during this week I've spent a lot of time thinking about this and I'm sitting there this morning now here's a week later I'm sitting there this morning I'm thinking I'm not sure I've got this down right I'm not sure I've got this figured out how to present this to you so if this seems to be a little bit wandering it's because I'm not sure exactly how I wanted to try and bring this out and I know you un- you'll understand it, there's no problem with that, but it's my manipulation or my, my workings to try to bring out in some way, and so I hope it makes a degree of sense when we get done, and I, and I think the finality of it will. But the idea of a mystery, a wonder, a question, a, a something that's covert, something that's hidden, it's kind of like reading the book of Revelation, you sometimes wonder, what exactly was he talking about there, what was meant there? And we can go into the bookstore and we can find those volumes and volumes, or shelves and shelves of volumes of mysteries that are there. And maybe you enjoy the mysteries because there's something left out. And I often think about the, the old television show of the lawyer that some of you would still remember by the name of Perry Mason. And how the show would go. And there was always that little hook at the end. You'd go through the show and you wonder who did it, who did it, who did it. And then finally at the end, it would come out in that case. And there have been other shows like that along the way that have replicated that. I just said that to show you how some of us have been around a long time. But that idea of a mystery, of going through and trying to figure out that thing that is missing, that thing that is somewhat hidden. And and in part, we wonder... Does that really fit with God? And the answer is yes. But if we kind of turn this, and let me kind of wander into this a little bit and see if it it gets us to where we want to be. I think in our lives there are things that we want people, we want others to remember and to know. We want people to know and to remember some things about us. And of course we like for people to forget some things about us, but we would really like for people to remember some things about us And I think that one of the great opportunities that we have as human beings in life, and as I looked at my dog this morning, I'm thinking he's trapped in a world because he's just got to do whatever we make him do. But as human beings, we make our choices. We make determinations. We look forward. We have a viewpoint. We see what, hopefully we see what's coming down the road to some degree. And we anticipate and we look for that. And somebody pointed out to me that we are the only creature in the world that sits around and thinks about its death. We look forward in that way, kind of. Not look forward to it necessarily, but we look forward in that way. But there is no doubt that we will leave some things behind us when we exit this world. We will leave something of a legacy. And some may wonder why we did the things we did, and maybe then we arrive at something of that mystery. And I was thinking about that, and I thought, you know, it's kind of a wonder the way people work out their last will or what they want to leave behind and how they want to leave the world what they want to leave to the world behind them and I got to thinking about and I thought what was that lady's name that left so much money to her dog and I couldn't remember her name I remembered she was a real estate magnate's wife widow and all of that but I couldn't remember so I had to look it up I'd look it up I'd forgotten her name but her name you may remember Leona Helmsley that real estate tycoon's widow, she left $12 million to her dog. I could leave a dollar to my dog. He still wouldn't know what to do with it. I wonder, what did that dog know about $12 million? But anyway, she left $12 million to her dog. But she's not the only one. Trouble, uh, that was her dog's name, but then we go on, Betty White, who died recently, you remember, most of you remember Betty White, Betty White bequeathed $5 million to the care of her dog. Oprah Winfrey, Oprah Winfrey has her dogs listed in her will to the tune of $30 million. Are her dogs going to outlive her? You just kind of wonder about these things, you know. Uh, $30 million. I think even those of us who have pets and love our dogs and some who think their dogs are almost human beings and all of that, and we're not going to get into that argument, you wonder at the actions of leaving such large sums of money for the care of or or for their dogs. And and people do all kinds of things. I just use those as kind of an illustration of kind of the unique unusual things that people do. And I understand dogs cost for sure. At the same time, dogs don't know anything about money, nor do most any other animal know anything about money. So with that in mind, we wonder about people. Why wouldn't we wonder about God? Perhaps you've heard the line from the old song and poem, God moves in a mysterious way. His wonders perform. There's no doubt that many of us see God as something of a mystery. We wonder about God and there's so many things about God that we do not know and the manner in which he operates and how he operates and, and what God is really like. I don't think he looks like the fellow on the Sistine Chapel. I don't really think he's that big white-haired guy reaching out to touch his finger out and touch Adam supposedly in the garden. That's a nice image and and so forth. And you can think about that. But there is no doubt that many of us Look at God as something of a wonder and a mystery. From the creation of the world to the making of humanity, how in the world did God do all of this? And he brings man from the same elements of the dust of the ground but breathes into him the breath of life and the wonder that's in us. And why are we alive one minute and not alive the next minute? We wonder, why can't we just give him the electric shock and put him back into business again? Why can't we just replicate that? And, of course, that's been in the minds of people. And Frankenstein built his monster in that regard, at least in the story. Why can't we? And yet we we have this wonder. We see that we've been given to see and understand some things. There are things that have been revealed to us, made known to us by God, things that are obvious to us by God. And yet there are things we don't understand. We see around us the so-called, and to borrow the, the phrase from the Lion King, the circle of life. There's more to see than will ever be seen, though, and we wonder at the world. We don't even know so many things about the depths of the ocean, much less the vastness of space and what's out there. There's more to be seen than will ever be seen, more to do than will ever be done. It re- I realized one day, ultimately, I'm going to die if the Lord allows time to continue. I'm going to die, and I'm going to leave some things undone. Did you ever think about that? You're not going to get everything done. It makes it a lot easier not to finish jobs. Did you ever think about that? Just let them go because there are going to be some undone. So they give you the chance to sit in your chair in the shade and drink that iced tea this afternoon. But in all seriousness, more to do than will ever be done. There's, so far, there's far too much to take in here, more than will ever be found. In other words, the world is full of mystery as well. Why wouldn't God be? And maybe that is something of a description of God. We see some things of God. We describe some things of God. And we understand some things of God. We use words to depict what God is like. God is love. God is almighty. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. We use words to describe God in a lot of ways. But then we we wonder, have I even come close? Have I even touched the hem of the garment of God? There are things of God and his will that will remain a mystery to us. But what Paul was getting across to Timothy, I believe, and to us today, is this mystery of godliness is something that can be known and recognized. He writes in 1 Timothy 3, And without without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness... And then he explains. God was manifested in the flesh. Justified in the spirit. Seen by angels. Preached among the Gentiles. Believed on in the world. Received up in glory. But you think about all the years that people wondered. And questioned. Like the Israelites at the mountain. They didn't want to hear the voice of God. Moses you go and hear it and then come tell us about it. I think there is... A time and a purpose. There's a time and a purpose for reflective understanding that grows as we develop. There are things that take time and experience to grasp in our understanding as we move forward. We expect that. We're used to that. We don't expect children to understand all the concepts and implications that go along with with being an adult and in an adult world. We expect them to be children. We expect limitations in their understanding and their concepts and the way that uh, things are. We give them very simple answers. And when we struggle with that, we just say, well, because that's the way it is or just because I said so. But if you want a background to it, go to the Bible and we find that God has revealed himself, and himself in different ways, not himself, but himself in different ways, in different manners over time. But even people were not expected to know everything immediately. Some of the greatest along the way. We think about somebody, well, even Adam and Eve, they didn't fully understand God or they wouldn't have eaten of that tree. And yet they did. Or Moses. As Stephen tells the story about Moses going to the Israelites there in captivity in Egypt, he went to them thinking they should understand that he was going to be their hero, their liberator, their power man. And yet they didn't understand. Moses thought he was ready at that point in his life at 40 years old, thought he was ready to be that leader and to be that hero. And when we read the story, we find out that it took 40 more years for him to understand his place. And even Jesus, as he talked to some of his closest disciples who'd been with him, who had seen the miracles, had listened to his words, who'd drunk in the very presence of Jesus. As he told them in John 16, there are things I need to tell you, but you're not ready for them yet. But there will come that time. And we can even notice in the short frame of time, we see when when Pentecost comes, that spirit is on them. When Peter and the others get up to speak, there is a very different presence in those men then than there had been. Just a short time earlier. Time and purpose. And as we unfold the pages of the Bible, we find that there is this continual revelation and unfolding of God that becomes more and more open and understanding to people. And God used several means to communicate with humanity from a very personal to through the prophetic and and so forth to communicate with people. And as the writer of the book of Hebrews reminds us in the first couple of verses of chapter 1, has in these last days spoken to us by His Son. And so we look back and we find that the Old Testament As Paul describes it, the Old Testament, Galatians 3 and 24, has been a tutor, a schoolmaster, to bring us to a point of understanding. All of this gives us some understanding so that we can be prepared to understand the godliness that has been such a marvelous mystery along the way. But the time of a tutor does come to an end. Not that our learning comes to an end, but the time of the need of a tutor, and the door opens, and there you are, and you say, it's time. It's much like the mother bird who sees the babes in the nest, and she brings them the food and brings them the food, and finally there comes the day when they're ready, and she just pushes them out of the nest, and says, it's time for you to start getting your own food, and away they go. And as humans, we're not much different than that. We realize that as children, maybe we're not ready for that, but as adults, it's time for us to face the world and stand up as adults, the time that our learning needs to grow and develop in such a way. Isn't that what the writer of Hebrews was trying to get at at the end of chapter 5? Said the time that you need to be on deeper, richer, tougher things, you need to be eating meat, you're still drinking milk. It's time to move on and grow in your understanding, not laying again the foundation, but growing from that foundation. And we need to understand that we begin at a point and we understand where we are, but that we grow from there. There are things that are important to accept, but even more, I think, to understand what they mean. I was trying to think about that this week, and the only thing that that could come to mind was those standardized tests we took when we were in school. I still do it today. I think they're a lot easier today than they were when we were kids, yeah? Don't you agree? Yeah, bound to be. I remember those standardized tests, but not so much the tests themselves, but the preparation for the tests. I don't know if they were preparing us for them. I didn't know. The only thing I remember is the teacher coming in and saying, just do your best. This doesn't affect your grade. Just just take the test. And, and if you don't finish, you don't finish I never heard a teacher talk like that at other times. It was more like, you better do this and you better do it right because you're going to fail if you don't do well on the test. Well, we take these tests and it doesn't matter. So suddenly in your mind, not mine, of course, in your mind, this test becomes unimportant. But what were those tests about? Those tests were supposed to tell somebody somewhere what we had learned thus far. Yes, yes. We have learned thus far, and what we have that stays with us becomes very useful to us along the way, and that's what we come to understand, and that's what Jesus was trying to get across as he talked in those parables throughout Matthew 13, and ultimately comes down to the point of the things that you pull out, and you fully understand those are the things that stick with you. So I'm just saying to you, God wants us to grow in understanding. He wants us to help others grow in their understanding. Fathers, they're supposed to bring up their children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Training them, teaching them as as Paul gets across in Ephesians 6. And So it is about growth. And with all that growth, we leave kind of the word mystery a little bit behind. I'm going to say just a word more about that. But that gets the mystery in there. A mystery is something you're seeking to understand because godliness, as Paul says here, writing to Timothy, godliness is a mystery that's now been made plain. Not that we know everything about God, but godliness, what we use. You see, God gave us a mystery. But as I said, what is a mystery? What is a mystery? But it is something that has not been fully revealed, something that has been covert or hidden or covered, and we are to be searching for the answer. When you pick up one of those mysteries and you start reading it, whether you're flipping across the literal pages or across your electronic device and you're flipping through those pages, you're thinking, what comes next? What comes next? And some of you you now, aren't you, some of you are thinking, I need to get to the end of this so I know what it happens. And so you skip over until you come to that. Cheaters, right? But you know, we don't do that with God. We can't go to the back pages and find how it came out in the end. Except that God has made his mystery known to us. What was hidden or not clear. The answer for which we searched has been made known. And that's what Paul is saying. And I know we're not the first generation to struggle with God's ways and why he did things in the way he's done and so forth. They did in in the New Testament era. Peter writes about that as they they come to that point and say, well, why have things not changed? Why are things going like they are? There's not, you say that the Lord's coming again, they're going to be this great day and so forth, but we're not seeing any change around us. And so they're questioning God even then. And that's why perhaps as he writes here to, to Timothy in the time he is writing, as if he were writing to people, you and I, in a time that keeps questioning God, maybe more than any other time, keeps questioning the validity, the value, the necessity, or even the existence of God. In this time, Paul writes, Great is the mystery of godliness. I don't know about you, when I read that and I first read it, I say, oh man, it's, it's overpowering. It's too much. It's, it's something that's not understandable in a way. But that's not what he's saying, I think. He's saying, great is the mystery of godliness because it is Jesus. Because where does he go immediately? Immediately he begins unfolding. He said he's manifested in the flesh. What what does John record for us? And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. Glory is even of of God. Not only was he manifested in the flesh, it was justified, made clear, made obvious, made plain, and proved among people. Think about that occasion where Jesus goes and is baptized of John. He goes in the water. He comes up out of the water. After the discussion takes place, he comes up out of the water. And there's the the spirit descending on him in the form of a dove. And we've got the voice from heaven. Did you ever think about that? People heard the voice of God. And I'm not sure what language, most of them spoke Greek, many of them still spoke Hebrew, a few of them spoke the Aramaic, but they heard the voice of God and they heard what he said and said, this is my beloved son in whom I and well pleased. Justified in the spirit. Seen by angels. Even as he was tempted and the the tempter goes away. What happened? Angels came and ministered to Jesus in Matthew 4. He was preached among the Gentiles. The unfolding of the New Testament. As we get into Peter going to Cornelius and then ultimately Paul and Barnabas and Paul and Silas and so many others going and preaching to the Gentile world. And so much of the New Testament. Look who it's written to. Gentiles, people who are not a part of Israel, people just like you and me, preached among the Gentiles, beginning there in the middle part of the book of Acts, and preached throughout the world, and the ones that preached that have come here also, they said, and believed on, and believed on in the world. Isn't it interesting that as Paul and Barnabas would go to places, sometimes the the Jews would reject them and some of the Gentiles would say, come and tell us about this. And even as Paul stands alone, stands alone with only that host of people, the Areopagus there at Mars Hill in Athens, as he stands there and he proclaims something they have not heard and when you get through it yes there are skeptics yes there there there's some that say well maybe you piqued our interest we want to hear more but there were some who said I want to join with you I want to be with you I want to be like you believed on in the world where the message is proclaimed and perhaps one of the greatest things in it is received up in glory I think one of the neatest things that we find in the martyrdom of Stephen, in the seventh chapter of Acts, when we read about that martyrdom of Stephen, is that we see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. I know later in Hebrews, Hebrews 8, he's described as that great high priest who is seated. That means a place of honor at the right hand of God. We see he was received up in glory. We mentioned in class that prodigal son, somebody did in class this morning, and you think about how that prodigal son came home, and I know Jesus is not the prodigal, but the embracing that is there, the picture that is there, the one that goes, and we see Jesus embraced for the great that he has done, received up in glory, and that moment when those disciples saw him ascend and disappear from sight, Received up in glory. Read Philippians 2 again and you see exactly what I'm talking about. That at his name every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under earth and every tongue confess. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. Received up in glory is a marvelous statement. You see, we may not have all the answers. We may not have everything that we ever desire in life. And hopefully we're growing and we're grasping in our understanding and reaching out. But what I'm trying to get across to you is the idea of the greatness of this mystery that has been made known. You see, a, a mystery is great because the, of the obscurity of the unknown, perhaps. And we say, well, it's a great mystery. You can't figure it out. It's kind of like one of those trigonometry problems that I had when I was a junior in high school. Couldn't figure it out. That's a great mystery to me. Or You could say it's great because of the number of people involved. And yes, there are people that are wondering about God and so much seems beyond their grasp and beyond understanding. And the number of people involved, we can't even begin to count the numbers of people who are affected by what God has done and has unfolded through the ages and brought to bear in Christ Jesus and lives in the body that is Christ today, His church. But perhaps the one, that's why I put the asterisk on there, the impact of the result on those who come to know it. That's the greatness of the mystery. It's not one of those things we come to, down to the end of the book and we say, oh, I knew it was all along. No, it's one of those deals we say, wow, how can that be? But it's been there all the time. So I leave it with you this way. The unfolding of the message, that mystery, and the will of God has always held some question in our minds, but has always held a pointed direction like true north. And much like solving that complex mathematical problem that I struggled with, the answer is out there. It is there to be determined. It is there to be seen. It is there to be known. But only by seeing it through the process of what God has done. And that's what what Paul is trying to get across. You follow the process and you see exactly what God has done. For the mystery of godliness, God's way for our lives has led us to Jesus gave us the church, and gives us the promise of life. Don't get lost in the mystery of godliness. Don't think it's something beyond us that God is keeping hidden from us. Again, yes, I know we don't know everything about God, and we won't in this world. That he has given us, as Peter says, all things pertain to life and most translations say godliness. It's ours to know and thus to live by it. We're going to sing a song of encouragement this morning. Perhaps there's someone who's considered the need because Christ is our only way and our only hope. We've emphasized that through the ages because it's right. He is the only name in which salvation is ours and the opportunity is ours in Him. That's what the apostles preached in the very beginning. Go to chapter 4, you find it there. Go to chapter 2, you find it there. In Jesus Christ and what God has done for Him, that is our hope and that is our salvation. Perhaps you've never put on the Savior in baptism. Well, that's what He calls us to do and to be and so if you haven't the opportunity is yours it's here today it's opportunity right now if you choose that if there's another need we'll gladly help you with that as well but if somebody needs to come let our encouraging song be one that draws you encourage you and gives you the opportunity to sing together